Greetings. This is the Paleo Protestant podcast with my Lutheran colleague, Corey Moss, my Anglican colleague, Miles Smith, and I am sort of the host, but more co host, I hope. Uh, Daryl Hart, we all teach history at Hillsdale College. And this week, or episode recording, we're going to talk about prayer. Um, Part of the reason for bringing this up is to take the temperature of other confessional Protestants on prayer in particular, um, read prayers, written prayers versus um, spontaneous or extemporaneous prayers. I mean, there are obviously also, at least in Presbyterian circles, debates about read sermons or manuscripts versus notes. And even I've just traveling this past weekend, speaking at a church in Georgia where um, no one there was making this point, but there there are some Presbyterians who insist that you not even take notes Mm -hmm. into the pulpit that you just, I mean, I think they would advocate preparation, but um so there is this issue of spontaneity leading to greater sincerity, perhaps, um, heartfelt prayers and the like. And um, the question before us is the degree to which um, that's also a complaint, a concern in Lutheran and Anglican circles. And if it isn't, um, how do especially lay people pray, but even pastors and priests, how do they pray when they don't have a, a prayer book or the formulary before them? Like, for instance, maybe we could just start off this way. If there's a men's group in your parish that gets together, I know the Lutherans have one because I've seen photos on on social media. <laughs> Does that begin with prayer? And is someone trotting out a piece of paper, a book, and and reading a prayer? And is there even a prayer written for such occasions? And in some ways, I'm thinking about this, too, because at the upcoming General Assembly, I'm likely going to be the convener of um, committees, advisory committees, that then report to the whole floor of the assembly. Um, I may be the the secretary or or chairman because of the way they have the the lists configured. And it's that person's responsibility then to pray oftentimes at the end of the report, pray for any changes in personnel. And I'm scratching my head looking for colics or anything that would help (laughs) me for this particular moment. And if you don't have something like that, there's a tendency, and I don't know if this is true in Anglicans, among Angl- Anglicans or Lutherans, and, and Miles, you can sort of draw on your Presbyterian experience as well, but some guys, when they pray, can go on and on and on. Yeah. And a, and a, and a book <laughs> or a set, a, set, a set of forms does guard against that. Um, you know, do you have to pray the whole counsel of God to start a meeting? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, that's those are some of the concerns. But but so go back to the specific question: When you meet in the basement of your parish hall for some kind of 
doctrinal inquiry study fellowship. And you, I assume there's prayer somewhere along the line. Is there a form? Yeah. Well, since, since you mentioned the, the, the Lutheran <laughs> men's group, I'll, I'll start. Uh, let, let me preface this, though, with, with saying, really, th- this is kind of a, a matter of dealer's choice. So, for example, uh, the, the, the men's group that gets together well, the first Sunday of every month over at St. Paul's uh, to study the Lutheran Confessions, uh, we actually begin that with the, the Order of Matins. So we, we, we mm. do a small liturgy in the chapel, uh, and then we move into the fellowship hall for the actual study of the Confessions. Mm. Um, if, if it's a uh, you know, Sunday morning Bible study, we have a more or less formal opening with, with all of the Sunday school kids and the adults where we might read a small part of the catechism, read a portion of, say, the gospel for the day, um, and then pray the collect of the day. Mm. Um, and then we usually end that with uh, saying together the Lord's Prayer. Um, and yet, uh, at a lot of meetings, so if you know the, the pastor is invited to, you know, the, the ladies' guild is having a meeting, uh, that they might ask the pastor open with prayer. And um, you know, could could be the case that, uh, that the pastor just decides, oh, well, I'm, I'm going to open with a, a more spontaneous prayer, asking God's blessing on this particular meeting, uh, granting us wisdom for whatever issues are going to be discussed. So I... I I guess the short answer is that, yeah, it, it really is up to whoever is leading it. But but if someone wants to read a prayer, there are plenty of them made available in our hymnal or in one of the, the historic uh, prayer mm-hmm. books put together throughout the history of Lutheranism. Uh, and, I'll, and I'll maybe say something about those prayer books. There, there are an awful lot of them. Huh. So the, this this is, has been kind of an implicit question throughout the history of Lutheranism. Uh, Miles? Um, so I think that you, you bring up the example of the men's group is helpful. Um, Anglicans are, are relatively churchy people. So I think it's we're a bit clinically disposed, un, indisposed to do um, things like a, a, a men's group, because I think there's a disposition amongst um, at least modern Anglicans that if you're at church, shouldn't we be doing church? Um, and so, and that that's, there's strength and weaknesses in that. I think, um, I think a good example of uh, how you pray as an Anglican is Corey's. I like his language of dealer's choice because I think that if you were to search all of the Anglican you know, uh, works on prayer, you could find a prayer for just about any occasion. Um, you know, a prayer before your second daughter by your second wife's second basketball game or something like that. You know, there's all sorts of prayers you can find. But I think a good example is, for example, we, uh, my parish does lunches um, uh, weekly. So we all get together and we eat after, after divine service. And so inevitably someone will just say, the Lord be with you, and we'll pray a short extemporaneous prayer. And I think that's because socially we are a parish that is not necessarily given to long-winded extemporaneous prayer. I'm sure you can find a parish that has that sweet old guy who's going to pray for eight minutes and make sure everybody's kid and is covered and everybody's, you know, who's sick is covered. Um, That's, I think socially we're not that way. So I think some of it's just the disposition of the particular parish. Um, I think uh, when it comes to prayer in divine service, 
I don't even think that Anglicans are as reflexively committed to uh, the prayer book as they once were. Um, mm. I've been in parishes that, for example, when it comes to the prayer for the whole state, that's the prayer that, that succeeds the doxology. Um, and usually in, in a Presbyterian church, it's sometimes called like the pastoral prayer. It's where, it's where the pastor or my experience in the Southern church, a ruling elder gets up and prays for kind of truly the whole state of the church and, you know, society and that prays for the things that you're kind of instructed to broadly in scripture. There's some Anglican parishes where you'll find that's left to lay people these days. Mm. Um, so I think it speaks to sort of the cacophony um, of disposition with Anglicanism. Serious prayer book prayer parishes, however, will, will hew pretty closely to the liturgy. Um, not because the liturgy is magic, but because I think it would, if you have, um, everybody sort of praying their own thing uh, in parishes, for example, that are kind of hodgepodges, which so many of them are, you can, and I've seen this happen, one week you'll have kind of like the right wing, uh, you know, parishioner pray <laughs> their version and another week, I've, I've, I've been in a parish where this happens, kind of the left wing. And so you have just these kind of, you know, these, these, um, these shifts, right? And I, I think that one of, the, one of the things is, I mean, most OPC churches, and I think most PCA churches are relatively conservative, but imagine having a, a place where lay people or even ruling elders with different dispositions are praying uh, for their own sort of things, their own sort of um, team, as it were. And so I think that the disposition towards staying with the liturgy, at least among Anglicans, is that it keeps people's um, in their own, it keeps people's sort of individual ticks. Yep. <clears throat> In worship, um, and that's 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 I think why the prayer book is is relied on. So, um, I I guess where to pick up is how well do people in your tribe pray? Um, I mean, I'm thinking here in particular of the small catechism. This is from the website of i don't know if it was the lcms yeah it's concordia publishing house and i in in the small catechism um at least the way they break it down page by page when it comes to the lord's prayer they talk about how the head of the family should teach his household to pray morning and evening and also um the introduction to the the the, the lord's prayer is under the heading of the head of the family should teach in a simple way his household to pray this way. And it goes into the Lord's prayer. Um, so that's very patriarchal. Okay. But that's fine <laughs> in our circles. That's, we can get away with that. Um, but I wonder how many heads of households pray. Do you think, um, and do they use forms when they pray at home, eat morning and evening meals. And some of the prayers are simple enough that you could, and I've been in other, I've been in Lutheran homes, including the mosques, where I think, you know, you're probably using short versions of prayers that are, that are written. That, so it's easy to use those. Right. And the objection from <clears throat> um, hot Protestant types is that, oh, but do you really mean it if you're using something that is rote? Um, 
the Lord's Prayer being an example of, well, then what are we doing with using this these same words all the time, at least when we pray that prayer? But um, what do you th- it well to back up this question a little bit where I was beginning to start it, rambling though it is, when I was on a session in suburban Philadelphia, some of the other elders were really intimidating because they prayed so well extemporaneously. So why would I ever, it's like Woody Allen in Annie <laughs> Hall and he's, he's at the, uh, the event for Adlai Stevenson and there's a comedian on stage at this fundraiser and Allen is going on next <clears throat> at the fundraiser. And he's trying, he's, he's arguing with the woman who he f- falls in love with one of his wives in, in the, in the movie, well, how would you have a comedian go on after another comedian? All those people have laughed, and now you expect me to get more laughs out of them. So how would I ever pray after this guy? He's already kind of set the bar, and now I'm going to go on and pray after him. Are you kidding? Why not just let him do it? Right, right. So, I mean, I, I mean that, is, that, that is what happens a lot. I mean, if, if you're at some sort of church function where, you know, say, you know, it's, 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 a, it's a meal, it's a potluck, whatever, um, the, the sort of instinct is to ask the pastor to pray because the assumption is he does this for a living. He's good at it. Um, and, and that and could include uh, you since you've been ordained. No, that's right. That's right. Um, and and that's fine, but but it does sort of ignore the, the the question that you just asked a bit ago. You know, how how do parishioners you know, in their own home, for example, pray or, or or learn to pray and pray well if you know the, the pastor is always the one asked to do it? Um, and I guess I, I mean I did I didn't really anticipate sort of offering a defense of written prayers, but. But I think that's part of the answer. I mean, the, 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 the collections of written prayers, so in, the, in Luther's small catechism, aside from the exposition of the Lord's Prayer, of course, there is a, a prayer for morning, a prayer for evening, a prayer before meals, and for returning thanks after meals. And that's the kind of thing that uh, you, know, you do in the household. And you know, maybe when you start doing it, you're actually reading it, or maybe the, you know, the, the parents are saying it and the kids are reading it. Um, but it doesn't take too long before those are committed to memory. And I don't, I don't know if, if they necessarily think about it this way, you know, children and, and even parents, but it, it is a kind of model of how to pray. So even if you're going to do an extemporaneous prayer, you know, a, am I including the same sorts of things? I'm not, not necessarily in the same order, but am I you know, sort of addressing God, making mention of, of his attributes? Am I thanking him for his various gifts? Am I petitioning him for, for some you know, blessing that, that I desire? Um, so, I mean, I guess between the, the written prayer that you're just reading and the completely extemporaneous prayer, there are those prayers that are memorized. So you're not reading them, but you're just sort of reciting them from heart. And those prayers that are kind of extemporaneous, but, but they're following a, a very specific pattern. Right. Um, so that kind of, at least ideally, keeps things in bounds rather than just rambling with lots of ahs and ums. Since I have one of those prayers here printed out, um, the morning prayer. 
is, I thank you, my Heavenly Father, through Jesus Christ, your dear Son, that you have kept me this night from all harm and danger. And I pray that you would keep me this day also from sin and every evil, that all my doings in life may please you. For into your hands I commend myself, body and soul, and all things. Let your holy angel be with me, that the evil foe may have no power over me. Amen. Does that sound familiar? Yeah, we 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 do that uh, <clears throat> daily. Yeah, uh, the, and and often, um, I mean, you, you mentioned that you've been at our home for dinner. We we have three or four regular dinner prayers that we kind of cycle through. There's uh, the one that appears in the small catechism. There's the the so-called common table prayer that that I'm sure all of our listeners have heard. You know, come Lord Jesus, be our guest. Um, and then there are a couple of sung prayers, uh, one, one of which appears in the hymnal uh, set to huh. 100th, so kind of easily easily memorized. Um, and then we, yeah, we, we try to kind of cycle through them just so we don't get in that, you know, as, as you mentioned, you know, if you're just kind of regurgitating it or reading it, are you really praying or are you just going through the motions and, you know, thinking about all the good smells coming from the table? Um. One of the things I think that maybe is worth thinking about for Anglicans is that there's a more of a, div- so prayer and the pastoral office aren't um, as wedded. And I think that's uh, something that, so for, for example, um, if you have a prayer book, um, the one I keep, I have in my office is the 1662. I, I personally use the 1928 prayer book, but in, in there, the prayer book is, is not meant for pastors. It's meant for the laity too. And so I think that at least in Anglicanism, there's a real sense that um, this this idea of praying well, I don't think figures in as much to prayer. Um, and the the reason is is because everybody prays, like like all the laity are praying. And so um, it's 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 really less of a um, performance isn't the right word. Um, there's I think a um, a democratization of prayer through the prayer book. Um, I know I grew up Presbyterian. I would hear those very florid kind of just beautiful rhetorically um, thing, but they were long and I don't really remember what the hell a lot of them were saying, um, <laughs> but I can remember the prayer books prayers. Um, and that's because I'm probably not a, a, a rhetorician or an orator. Um, and I think that, that what the, the, the prayer books purpose is to make prayer something that the laity does. Um, there's, I mean, one of the interesting things about uh, Anglicans, I don't know, I've always wanted to ask, uh, Corey, can, can lay people lead matins in the Lutheran church? Uh, they can, yes. Okay. Yep. So, so, for, so for Anglicans, of course, you have a lay-led service that's, that's available to you. Morning prayer can be led by lay people. Mm-hmm. Yep. So I think that prayer is not um, reflexively associated with, with the pastoral office. And that cha- I think that changes kind of what people do with it. Um, so like, what, what does it mean to, 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 to pray well? I don't know if that translates for Anglicans um, as much as it may for say Presbyterians, because praying, praying well is probably, um, that, that that's that's unique and i think there's a recognition well maybe that's unique but most people aren't that way so 
here's a guide to how to pray since all of us are doing it. Um, so I think it's, it's, it's maybe, I don't think it's a different <laughs> impetus on prayer. I think it's a, a different kind of focus on, on ha- how prayer is, not what prayer is. Well, there, there is, okay. I mean, those are, are helpful. And I think, you know, I don't know that we're really in any disagreement, but it was curious to see from the homily concerning prayer at the North American Anglican website. Um, it talks about um, the great necessity, also great, the great force of devout and earnest prayer and going on to talk about whether even the, the most simple and unlearned uh, can pray, can pray. And, and this homily is encouraging those people to pray so that they may feel unworthy, un- intimidated, um, not having, not being eloquent. And they quote Augustine, <clears throat> um, a lifting, that prayer is a lifting up of the mind to God, that is to say, a humble and lowly pouring out of the heart. Um, so you, you have this, this notion of, I mean, in some ways, even this is calling a, for a kind of spontaneity, just an outward a, outpouring of the heart, which, of course, in emergencies, in some time of stress, any of us, I would imagine, would just pray out to God for some kind of help, consolation in a moment of crisis. You're not thinking through something necessarily. Um <clears throat> The, the Heidelberg Catechism, just to bring in the Reformed angle on some of this, is um, treats prayer as the most important part of thankfulness, which God requires of us. <clears throat> um, and then it also says uh, what belongs to a prayer which pleases God and is heard by him. This is question and answer 117. First, we must, from the heart, call upon the one true God only who has revealed himself in his word. Second, we must thoroughly know our need and misery so that we may be hum- humble ourse- so that we may humble ourselves before God. Third, we must rest on his firm foundation. Um, and, and rest in the promises of, of Christ. Um, and it goes on to say that Christ, God has commanded us to ask of him all things that we need, body and soul. Um, the idea of praying from the heart again is what people who object to written prayers will say. See, if it's coming from a page, if you're following a form, it's not as genuine. And this, you know, Presbyterians <clears throat> have struggled with re- revivalism, <clears throat> pardon me, more than other confessional churches, it seems to me. And, and this is partly the outworking of that. Um, you know, but there's so there are two sort of questions here related, though, uh, that again may people may object to. But one, we've had the language here of learning to pray, that you actually need to learn to pray, and sometimes you don't in a crisis when you just it's just immediate. It's just the the cry of the heart. But if you if you are going to perform a prayer, which is what happens when you're praying for more than yourself, if you're leading a family in prayer, if you're leading the men's Bible study in prayer, if you're praying before the congregation during a time, uh, I mean, sometimes uh, officers 
ruling elders will pray in Presbyterian circles. I don't know. And I guess, I mean, Miles, you were just saying that in Anglican services, the lady do pray. And I've seen that happen as well when I visit. And at that time, at that moment, when you're praying, and I've tried to argue this sometimes with people who object to written prayers, that if I'm sitting in the pew, hearing a prayer, and, and praying along with the prayer, it doesn't make any difference to me in a sex what I'm praying. If I'm praying with that person, whether they're doing it spontaneously or if they're reading it, it's the same. I mean, they're praying for me, with me or something. It doesn't really matter. And if they're bad at it, it's distracting. Right. Um, and if they're using forms that have been used before, well, that's actually kind of good in a way because I sort of know what to expect and can can pray along with it maybe even better. Um, sure, it, it could mean that I just back off because I oh I heard this before okay I'll come I'll, I'll pay attention again once the prayer is over. But the analogy here in some ways is the um, wedding vows. When you use forms for those. Till death do us part, all those kinds of forms. Um, you can actually remind your spouse of what they promised because you've heard that so many times. You know the language. But if you if you've written vows, and I've been at weddings where people have written vows, and boy, they can be bad. <laughs> Not only that, though, how are you ever going to remember that? You said really sweet things, dear, on wedding day. I don't remember any of them. Um, and I don't really know that they covered the kind of important things that you need before pledging to each other that way. So uh, any thoughts about, I mean, do you think your churches teach people how to pray? I don't know that we necessarily do in Presbyterian circles, because I think we do try to encourage people to pray, no matter how gifted or skilled they may be. And learning to pray connotes a kind of hierarchy or elitism perhaps but well i think oh sorry yeah no i mean i think i think without being condescending we, we can recognize because, because i i've heard a lot of people say this that, that some people just aren't very good at praying right and so they they want some guidance whether that's explicit, and, and I, I, mean, I, I doubt that any of us are going to you know, teach a class on how to pray, but, but sort of implicit. So, for example, in, in our Lutheran hymnal, um, the, the inside cover flap just has you know, half a dozen prayers uh, titled Prayers for Worship. So one is you know, on entering a church, one is before worship, one is after worship, before confession and absolution, before communion. Um, and the idea is someone, someone comes into church and you know, you've got a quiet few minutes before the service starts and you're conscious of the fact that you know, I, I, I should be focusing on what is about to happen here. H- how can I do that best? Well, maybe, maybe I should pray uh, that, that I, you know, rightly hear and and inwardly digest uh, the, the word that's going to be proclaimed. Um, but but how can I best do that? Well, I I don't know. So I'm just going to open my hymnal and I'm going to you know pray one of these prayers that's written here for me. You know, and and if I do that for a few weeks, I kind of 
understand what I should be asking for as I'm preparing to worship or repairing, mm. preparing to, to receive the sacrament. So it's, it's a kind of implicit teaching. Um, and, you know, you know, as you said, Daryl, I mean, I'm, I'm supposed to be a, a professional because I've been ordained, but um, I, I still <laughs> regularly, um, you know, open the hymnal to these prayers uh, at the beginning of worship, just because, you know, I'm distracted by a hundred things, five of which are my young children sitting next to me. And it's, it's, it's a little easier to focus if I've just got some words in front of me and, and I can pray those. Um, I want to, I'm, I'm sure Miles has something to say too, but I, you know, you mentioned the analogy of wedding vows. I'm, I, I wonder about the analogy of, of psalm singing. Yeah, uh, because and we, we've talked about this before, and you know, a, a Lutheran finds this strange about certain strands of Presbyterianism, you know, <laughs> an exclusive psalmody. Um, you know, why, why not this rich heritage of hymns? Uh, and, and then, of course, there are others who would say, well, you know, never mind 17th century hymns. What about that that sort of contemporary Christian worship song that was written two weeks ago? Um, and and I hear the kinds of objections to, to formal written prayers that you're talking about also in the context of traditional hymnody uh, and probably even more so in, in the context of exclusive psalmody. So, you know, when, when the worship band is up there and they sort of spontaneously decide because they're really feeling it that we're going to do this refrain six more times <laughs> rather than the two times that are printed in the bulletin. I mean, some people are probably inclined to say, well, that's, you know, that's because they're really feeling it and they're not sort of bound by some printed page. Uh, and the rest of us are saying, I wish you were bound by a printed page. <laughs> um, so I, I wonder if there's a kind of, a, a kind of irony here that, you know, among some Presbyterians, and, and I don't know if it's the same Presbyterians who might really want to defend exclusive psalmody, who would also be really opposed to written prayers? Or, or is that two different categories? In some ways, I think they are, because often, I mean, hymns came in with revivals. That's when you, you saw, began to see an eroding of an attachment to the, to the Psalter. Um, so in some ways, you could argue the pro-hymn hymn people were uh, also the pro spontaneity people, though I, st I still think your point stands. It, it is that, well, wait a minute, you're using written words for this song. We're not simply making the words up. We have this tune. Now let's make up words as we go. Each of you can make your words. I mean, we all are on the same page when sure. it comes to the hymn we're using. And if song is a kind of prayer, which I, I mean, Calvin thought it was, I mean, that's where it fits. It's, it's, it's a congregational prayer, as it were. Uh, then we're using a prayer book every time we sing as Presbyterians. Yeah. Um, but there's a, you know, there's a, the other issue that we'll come back to in a second, but Miles was trying to say something. Yeah. So if, if I know Daryl, we've talked about this, there's the, you know, um, the crown, which is the show I love. There's a, there's an episode in season three um, <laughs> of Aberfan and it's based on the mining disaster that killed mm -hmm. 100, 150 school children. And there's a scene where the queen has been finally convinced to go. 
And uh, most of the people in that town, I think there's supposed to be some sort of Wesleyans. Um, I'm, I'm not sure if they're supposed to be Calvinist or Wesleyans, but they're not. Angry. It's Wales, though, right? Yeah, it's Wales, or maybe Baptist um, in, in Wales. So, it, but it could be, well, you know, Welsh Calvinists. Or yeah. Something. Yeah. Um, but the uh, one of the Queen's handlers says, um, you know, you're you're going to Wales. A display of emotion is not just um you know, recommended, it's expected. And I, I think that one of the things, you, I, when I think about this is, I don't know if this is um, sociology or, or, or culture or what, but there's a certain point where I think there's just a sense in English churchmanship that the way you're supposed, you're not actually supposed to affect everything you're feeling in divine service. Um, and it doesn't mean you're not feeling it, right? It doesn't mean you're not, it's not there, but the idea that what you're feeling in your heart should translate into some sort of declaration to the people, I don't think is shared necessarily um, across confessional confessional lines. Um, I'll give you an, an example, and I don't want to give away too much because this is something that's ongoing in our parish right now. We have a, 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 a family with a child, a, a, a toddler that has a serious cancer. Um, and mm. that's, an affecting thing. However, what we've done, and I think this is, this is the way most liturgical churches would do. We've simply inserted her name where there's a place in a rubric to put her name. Um, if you're reading that you're, you're feeling, I, I read it a couple of weeks ago, my voice cracked mm. and because right. Like it's, it's affecting in that this is what's happening. This person who we're praying for through a formal liturgy is having this thing happening to me. I don't think that the the power of it would have been anything more if I would have had some sort of momentary sort of emotional impulse to tell you really how I was feeling about the situation of it at this situation. So I think some of this is, is sort of sociocultural. Um, people are going through heavy things and a, 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 a written prayer isn't necessarily better than, than an extemporaneous one. I don't want to make that, that claim, but I think the assumption that an extemporaneous one is better than a written one is really based on 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 maybe some some sociology of, of how affections are supposed to be translated into corporate worship, at least. I don't I don't know if it um, if it makes a difference necessarily if we're all crying or if we're, our voices are cracking. Um, somebody's voice cracking in a formal service is a big deal. So I think that that some of this is is really downstream from maybe the cultural hallmarks of the people that form right. communions. Right. All right, let me let me take a brief a moment here to, <clears throat> to read from this episode's uh, sponsor, the American Historical Association. <laughs> Bet you didn't see that one coming. Everything has a history. History educators are facing immense challenges in many states and school districts across the United States. Radical organizations prompted and prodded by marketing professionals and political ideologues are trying to convince legislatures, school boards, and parents that the facts of American history are too controversial to be taught in our classrooms, too likely to make students uncomfortable. The American Historical Association is proud of the professionalism of the nation's teachers and confident in the ability of our students to wrestle with challenging ideas. The AHA's new Teaching History with Integrity initiative promotes the principles and practices of historical work in the face of these challenges to educators. The initiative supports evidence-based, professional history through careful research on what is actually taught, short videos on the controversies over teaching 
histories of American racism, and informational materials for legislators and school boards. Visit our website for these resources and more information. And you can go to historians.org. And if you've put in the backslash prot podcast, P-R-O-T podcast, you can insert at the coupon window, pulling your leg, one word, pulling your leg, <laughs> and you get a discount. Okay. <clears throat> that email came to me this this, after, this, this afternoon, and I, I couldn't help but... <clears throat> use it. It makes us, makes us legitimate historians, I think. Um, so, so one related question here, and we're sort of coming toward the, the end of this. Um, we've been going for about 40 minutes or so, so we should try to uh, wrap it up. Um, on the other end of this, um, what I've noticed among people who um, resist written prayers is um, the prayer request time. And I'm wondering what the practice is among Lutherans and Anglicans on this, um, where you can have pretty remarkable detail, intimate detail sometimes, of um, people's lives at prayer request time, people that you don't even know necessarily if you go to a meeting uh, that's kind of a, a, a national meeting of, of various church officials. Um, at, on the other hand, I know people, and I, I'm speaking here for myself and my wife, where I think we're oftentimes very reluctant to make our, our concerns known, even if it's something serious on the level of an illness or a death in the family, partly because you don't want to be a burden but also partly because you don't necessarily want it prayed for publicly. Then, so you can tell, then tell your pastor or your elder, I'd like prayer you to pray for this, but please don't bring it up in public because you don't want the attention. I mean, it becomes a kind of news vehicle and, and, and it's, you know, you joke about gossip, you can turn gossip into a, Pray for this person this way, but let me, let me tell you. So, I mean, is there, how intimate are prayer requests among your Protestant types? Hmm. Yeah. We, so two examples, cause I I'm regularly attending two different parishes now um, at my own parish here in Hillsdale and then a, a vacant congregation about 20 minutes from here that, that I occasionally uh, do pulpit supply for. Um, and, and there's some similarities, but differences. So prayer requests in both cases usually come in either to the pastor or to the secretary. And, you know, if they come in early, there's usually a spot in the, in the printed bulletin that just lists the, the, the names of those that we're currently praying for. Mm. Um, and in one of these congregations, it's just the names, no details, uh, in the other congregation, it's the name and then, you know, the detail, you know, it's, it's cancer or it's unemployment. Um, and, and that's pretty much the extent of the detail. So it's, it's there in print. Um, but, but then the details don't actually come into the prayer. Mm. So in, in, in both congregations, um, we, we follow a, a set prayer where there is a space when you're, you know, re- requesting you know, the, the God comfort those who are, you know, distressed for various reasons, you know, there, there's just a, a spot that says, you know, 
we pray especially for, and then a blank. And, and then all of those names are read out, but, but you don't, you don't provide all the details. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if a, if a prayer request comes in, like right before the service starts, often what will happen is before the, the general prayer of the church, you know, the pastor will just say something like, you know, in our prayers this morning, we also include mention the name, mention why we're praying for them. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, it's public, but the prayer itself doesn't go into a lot of mm-hmm. detail. Yeah. I think it's similar for Anglicans uh, the, the, it's names inserted in a, in a form prayer for, um, you know, those who are sick or, or, or afflicted. And so there's no details, um, given. So I, I think that, um, there's, I don't know if that's trusting the laity to sort of figure it out. Um, I, I really don't know, but it's um, the ambiguity I think might be annoying because like, let's say you've been gone, you come back and somebody's names on in the, in the, in the prayer and you're like, Oh wait, you know, I didn't know that mm. was going on. But um, I, I think that the, the ambiguity is, it's not actually ambiguity. Um, I, at first, I remember when I first, you know, really started listening to, 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 to form prayers, I, I thought this is ambiguous. Like this isn't really a prayer. No one knows. But, but now I think, I don't think it's, it's ambiguous. It's, 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 you know, it's a typological prayer. I mean, Lord, this is all going on for these people. And even though the details are different, there's all, there's the same sort of thing, which is an affliction in health. And so we're praying for that. It's actually not a lack of specificity. It's saying, no, this is specifically a prayer for people who are afflicted by uh, issues dealing with their health, and we're praying for that. So I, I once thought it was ambiguous. I, I don't think it's so much ambiguous now as it's, it's, it's typographic. Yeah. I mean, it is. Some of the detail does, it, it does shade too, toward um, <clears throat> things that are very acceptable. So if you wanted to pray for Brother Harry over there, who's really struggling with porn, and you put that in the bulletin, Harry Smith, why porn? I mean, right. <laughs> right. we're not doing that. Or, you know, marry somebody, adultery. We just spare certain details. So there is a sense of propriety in what we bring up and pray for. And yet it doesn't extend as much to physical ailments or financial ailments. And I, I can't help but think also in the background here, my biblical awareness that you know the bible says paul says we don't know how to pray jesus i think also says that so the spirit groans on our behalf jesus intercedes on our behalf but there's a recognition that we don't know how and and that could be then a license to well you don't know how so go ahead you don't have to perform right really well because but if you're leading prayer for a group you know, you should be able to pray in a way that people. Yeah, you know, it's hard for me to believe that some people are not embarrassed by 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 somebody who really stumble, someone who stumbles through a prayer. I mean, you you're still gracious. You're not going to call them out, but still, you might think, you know, maybe we get don't get that guy to pray the next time because it's a little insufferable. <laughs> um, yeah, can can I share an anecdote? Sure. I, I, I never, I never. 
quite know what, what to make of this. Uh, when I was in college, I heard a young lady pray a spontaneous prayer. Very, very heartfelt, very, very emotional. Um, she dropped an F-bomb in the middle of the prayer. Now, this, this wasn't in a church setting. It was, it was a relatively private setting. Um, Wow. And I, and, 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 wow. Yeah, right. Right. And, and that's part of me radical. Thought, part of me thought you are you are telling the Lord exactly what you think and feel. And I guess that's to be commended. But maybe maybe not. <laughs> when, what, what year was this roughly? Uh, this would have been early 90s. Wow. Yeah. That I have never heard anything approximating that. That's, I mean, but that goes, if, if it was a Lutheran setting, it goes along with <laughs> the earthiness of the Lutherans right there. I, I think there's, as a, just as a, as a commendation to the best aspects of Presbyterianism, though, I think every serious church that had serious elders took, took seriously the kind of admonition towards wisdom. And mm-hmm. what, wise ruling elders that's my experience was mainly ruling elders doing that the, the public prayer um outside of praying over the text itself i, I don't um that's a southern thing that, that the text itself is, is read and then prayed for by the pastor and then hmm. um, the ruling elders would actually pray for the the sort of the, the whole state um and I, I remember this one dear man um one of the elders growing up and I'm from North Carolina, so everybody has relatively strong accents. And he would pray, and he would give specifics, but they were never gratuitous specifics. Um, and you know, every, there was this one woman, Mrs. Tysinger, um, and she had like like a perpetually bad hip problem. It would be, Lord, we pray for Gladys Tysinger's hip surgery. You know, and like there was something kind of ch- charming about that. But you're right; it was never, never would you have heard. Oh Lord, we pray for Greg, who totally had an affair with his, his, you know, his secretary or something like that. So I think there was kind of a wisdom that went with what detail was shared. And so I think if if a church takes seriously how it's supposed to elect its ruling elders, then that that does mitigate against uh, some yeah. of the, the excesses of you know someone's just you know, right. Ruling elders aren't dropping the f bomb <laughs> in, in the middle of prayer. I mean, I haven't seen it, but, but uh, you know. Um, but I think that's a commendation for uh, the, the, the virtues of the Presbyterian system when it works right. Well, the other side of that prayer request phenomenon, too, from my youth was <clears throat> having been in many of those uh, young people settings where we had a time of prayer. You were trying to show off so many times yeah. in bringing up, oh, y- you think you know that? Well, I know this. So, so pray for this. <laughs> or show off with see how see how much i care i even think we should pray about this um are 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 are, maybe they're called something else but but prayer chains is is that a thing in either of your congregations um, or where where you mainly when there's an emergency okay we don't have one in our congregation now i don't think although the pastor does send out um, in effect, it could be that sends out an email, depending on privacy and things like that. Sure. To the, but for you know, a s- surgery, an emergency, an accident, or something. But okay. Yeah. Yeah. Because that, that's something that's been more or less formal. 
uh, in different congregations I've mm. been in. Um, mm-hmm. But then I, and I wasn't sure quite how widespread that was. Yeah. Well, I think we've kicked this around enough. Um, thank you guys for uh, being willing to do this. We probably won't do this for a while because some of us are traveling, but we'll try to have another recording down the way in a month or so. And thanks anyone for listening. And we'll, um, we'll talk to you again sometime. God willing. All thanks right. guys. Thanks, Daryl.